So, follow up. Yes, we have some. Last time we spoke, one of the things we mentioned was this was uh, in the summary of the One More Thing conference. Yep. Uh, one of the presenters gave a tip about soliciting reviews, and we passed that on, and we've had some feedback about that. Indeed, we have, and I'm just looking for the email right now. So, specifically, it was apps that ask you to say, hey, it looks like you're enjoying my app. Would you care to give me a rating? And it says, you know, rate now, rate later, or never. Never ask me again, you dirty scoundrel. Is that the feedback? No. Uh, our feedback comes from somebody who didn't get, uh, decide to give their name because it has uh, it has one of the, the defaults that the form fills in. All right. Oh. Um, the form gives you, like, examples of... Of like what a what a like a good response would be, and uh, it's pulled from various like sci-fi and other things. So there, this this is Jean-Luc Picard All has right. uh, provided this this feedback mm. from from the future. Mm. Oh, well, then then the head knife. So Jean-Luc hates being harassed to rate an app that he's using. And he feels like that. The, he, he, in fact, he hates it so much that he, he he feels justified when it happens to leave a one star review, simply because of the fact that they asked to rate it. So, I mean, how, how do you guys feel about about when you get when you get asked to rate an app? Look, I think that's actually really valid feedback because um, kind of in the my ideal world, uh, developers would focus on creating apps that are a joy to use. And that make it easy to do whatever it is that you need to do with them. And I'd download it, use it, enjoy using it so much that I wouldn't need to be prompted and I would just, you know, rush out and review it myself because I love it and tell all my friends about it. Um, so the idea of apps prompting me and saying, come on, do you like it? Do you like it? Tell me how much you like it. Um, it feels a little bit kind of cheap and nasty. But, so that's kind of my initial instinct is I kind of agree with that feedback. I like, uh, this, this kind of feels a bit, you know, a bit slimy asking people to give positive feedback to try and get more people to know about it and like it. Um, it should be ideally something that just occurs naturally because you've built such a great app. Um, however, I can get past that initial reaction and just think pragmatically and realistically about it. The, um, the economy of the app store is such that apps that get noticed are more likely to get noticed by other people. So there's a real incentive to try and get your app to appear to more people and to have more people be willing to give it a go. Right. Um, and good ratings seem to help that. And we've heard time and time again from people uh, that if you do it in a clever way, uh, Asking people who seem to be enjoying using your app to give you a rating and results in you getting good ratings, which right. results in getting more people looking at your app. Part of me like thinks that, you know, a nice way of solving this issue would be, uh, if Apple supported trials, right? I think it'd be less, there'd be less of this kind of trickery of trying to convince people to get your app off the app store if the barrier to entry was lower. If, you know, you could say, just try it. It's The trial's free. Try it for yourself and see if you like it. Then there wouldn't be so much need to sort of 
gather together evidence from all your other previous users that it's really worth downloading. Yeah, of course. I mean, that that sort of a, a, a strategy comes with a price as well, though. Um, you're not just by offering a free free trial or, or whatever. You're also uh, delving into the situation where not everybody's actually going to pay for the app, which is can be construed as either a good or a bad thing. Um, you know, bad for money in pocket sometimes, but also, uh, you know, good because the users that you get are actually, you know, they actually enjoy your app and they're dedicated to your app. Mm. Um, so there's this, you know, kind of drawbacks and and uh, things that are good about about you know the trial a, a trial uh, approach. I mean, so Apple do trials of books on the iBook store. Yeah, you can get um, samples, and I think. It makes such a difference if if you're asking people to part with cash for the 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 more you can make it clear to them what they're actually what they can expect to get for that cash the less likely they are to be disappointed and the more likely they are to be satisfied right and yeah i th- i think they're kind of kind of separate issues but kind of related like the need to get good ratings is made greater by the fact that um you can't offer free trials to let people try things out before they before they commit to buying. So you want to give them, you know, a greater incentive to make that commitment by saying, "Look, every you know all the thousands of people that have used this before have given it five stars. They've loved it. You will too." Hmm. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So I think it's a, it's valid feedback, but I guess the numbers um, that I've heard from from other people as well, you know, don't really support like that this. Users probably in a minority that the majority of people who are prompted to rate, if you prompt in a good, sensible way, will actually end up responding with a, a good rating if you've created a good app. Yeah, and I, th- I think I think that the the important thing is what you said earlier is that is doing like asking it in like a in a new and interesting way, um, being being clever about how you do it and actually being smart about when you do it as well. Um, we talked about last week, when we talked about this topic, we talked about doing things like if the app is crashing, then you shouldn't, you know, <laughs> like if it's just crashed and you're coming back from a cr- like just having crashed. That would not be a good time. Not a good time to do it. Um, and you can take that further. Like if you notice that they're, you know, using your app a lot, if they're, you know, if they seem to be enjoying it from, you know, a perspective where that you can actually program measure, for yeah. and measure and then then you you know you display the thing you don't just display it because you want you know to every user that yeah, exactly. because you want ratings it's it's about and being clever in fact i think the first time i ever saw a dialogue asking me to leave a rating was for um flipboard and i was really happy to because it was you know when flipboard first came out on the ipad um it was awesome. I was really impressed with the app. It was slick. It was polished. It had some really beautiful interactions. It um, gave me a, a, the best way that I'd enca- encountered up to that point of seeing content that is relevant to me. So right. I connected it to my Twitter account and I could see all of the articles that people I follow on Twitter had been linking to. Um, and so when I got prompted, you know, to leave a rating, I, I was happy to. Um, Made me. It just kind of reminded me how much I'd been enjoying it and how I wanted to support them. Yeah, that's the effect it has on me as well. I mean, I always forget to leave reviews, and even as a developer, you'd think I'd remember because mm. I really like good reviews. But sometimes one pops up in an app, and I go, "Oh, yeah, all right, I like this app," and I go and chuck them a review. And I think that's how it works for most people. Yeah, it definitely does anger some 
people, but in our experience, it's definitely a noticeable effect between apps that have it and apps that don't because yeah. we sort of tried it out. Well, one of the one of the uh, talks at one more thing, uh, which we mentioned, uh, we were talking about last week. So uh, Carl von Rendau, who we forgot his name last week, that's his name, Carl mm-hmm. von Rendau. Uh, although it could be Rendo, I don't actually know how to pronounce it properly. Um, so he he's done uh, apps like uh, Bird Brain, and um, I think he worked. He's, he's worked for a few different things. He did Camera Plus. Um, he actually put a, a graph up on the screen of uh, the difference in ratings between not asking for ratings and then asking for ratings. Um, and for the for you know for those of you at home who actually can't see the the uh, the graph, it's on the, it's in the notes that I took uh, from from one more thing. So, so of course you've all seen it already. So you should have seen <laughs> it already. Uh, but it goes from being about about twelve reviews uh, in version two point four to being about maybe nine reviews in two point five uh, to being forty reviews right. in two point six. Yeah. After he implemented irate, which is the the yeah. F- uh, framework that we uh, talked about. So, speaking of irate, um, ha- one of the things that frustrates me a bit about when people ask me to rate the app is that the experience of doing that is a bit disruptive. Yeah. Often, the dialogue that's asking you is one of the UI alert views, UI alert. Mm-hmm. UI alert mm-hmm. view. Um, which I, I think is kind of ugly and is kind of um, it's like it's just a thing that appears and I often in my mind associated with errors or with um, something that's interrupting me. Maybe it's just as a developer, the number of times I unlock my phone and I get a system one telling me that the provisioning profile is about to expire and I can either be reminded or, I don't know. There's no way to make that stuff yeah. coming up. Yeah, exactly. Oh, There's no way to make, make that coming alert. Up. So, I think that's up. kind of tarnished that alert. But I think for other users, that alert appears at times that is not necessarily always, you know, joyful. Yeah. So, to have yeah. that alert appear... It's kind of like something that's outside of the experience of the app interrupting you, sort of saying. And then if you do want to make a rating, I think that you, this is how seldom I actually do it, you then get kicked out to the App Store app. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah you do. So what would be awesome is if there was an, a way of, like if there was an API for submitting ratings and reviews to the App Store that you could use in-app. So rather than having to turf people out of your app, you could just have a nice little subtle user interface element that had like the stars or, um, you know, something where you could continue to stay within the app and quickly leave a rating. Of course, um, I don't know, unless Apple were to provide that API, uh, I don't think they'd support it because obviously it could be gamed, right? You could, you know. No, you'd probably link it to an Apple account, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, we don't use an alert view because we think it looks ugly as well. Right. We have a thing that pops down from the top of the screen and doesn't interrupt you, so it's nice. not doesn't stop your other flow. You can yeah. ignore it if you want. Yeah. And then and, I've, until I've you this. then decide you do want to rate, which yeah. So it's it doesn't say do you want to rate. It says how do you feel about the app. It's got yeah. the smiley faces. So if you tap the smiley face, then it says would you mind leaving us a rating. Yeah. And then you can jump straight to the leave a rating page in the app store for right. your app. Yeah. So that's what we do. Hey, there is. But you can't a, jump back. That's one problem. There is an API for displaying an app store sheet within your app, isn't there? I've yeah, seen I think, an I app think so, do yeah. that, mm. but I haven't actually found the API yet. Mm. So we should certainly look that up and stick it in the show notes. We, totally, we should. 
I'd like really like to know because I even looked for it and didn't find it. Yeah. Okay. Let's do. Let's all decide to do that investigation. And if we can find it, we'll stick it in the show notes. And if we can't, uh, if you're listening to this and there is no such mention in the show notes, please uh, let us know how to do it. And we will. We will let everybody know because that's what we do. Indeed, that's what we do. Indeed. So thank you very much uh, for the man from the future with that feedback. Um, Jean-Luc Picard. Jean-Luc. See, I don't actually know who that is. That's someone from a sci-fi show. Star Trek. Okay. He's captain of the Enterprise in Star Trek Next Generation. Right. Okay. That's the one with the the live long and prosper. No, that's the original series. (laughs) Jean-Luc Picard is played by Patrick Stewart. Knocking a tar off the wall. (laughs) Okay. Uh Patrick Stewart. Clearly, I need a sci-fi education. You really do. That's, wow. That's for a different podcast. I think it? we should just cancel this podcast and do a, <laughs> like, let's educate Jake on sci-fi podcast. Good. Uh, yeah. Good. So, what's next? Well, um, I was thinking we could discuss a programming topic, given this is a, you know, extensively a programming- Wait. Ostensibly a what? programming podcast. I- are you, are you sure? I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely not. convinced. <laughs> no, 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 I do. I mean, we did f- talk about football for like the first half an hour of our first podcast. That's right. How is that going? How about those Socceroos? I think wrong type of football. Oh, I can't. <laughs> 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 oh, dear. Um, right. Yes, programming. Um, when we, we once had this idea that we might get other developers on the show and we had one segment with Russell from Shifty Jelly. I yep. quite enjoyed that. Um and one of the things that Russell said is that what he what he would like in a podcast um is to hear people t- discussing approaches to programming yep. as a way of sort of um checking to see if what he t- his approaches make any sense. At least that's how I interpret it because I share that view that um I so often writing code and approaching a problem a particular way in the back of my mind I'm thinking Suppose there are probably a gazillion ways to approach this problem. Is the way I'm doing it at all sensible? And so I thought um, I could describe a little bit of uh, one way I approach problems, and you guys could tell me what I'm doing wrong and how I could do it better. Sure. Cool. Fantastic. So the particular problem I'm talking about is, um, I guess, managing the the relationships between classes within my app and um, passing information back and forth between different view controllers, largely. Okay. Um, and so an approach that I've been using heaps lately is uh, using delegates or delegation. Uh, and it's a common pattern that Apple use in their APIs, and I quite like it. makes sense to me how Apple uses it. Um, you know, you have a table, table view uh, controller and got a delegate and a data source that can um, you can delegate things like uh, knowing about how many rows there are and knowing what should happen when a row is selected and things like that. I think that's the I think the, the knowing how many rows there are is the data source. Knowing like when they're selected is, is the, the delegate. delegate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm kind of familiar with that approach and in fact there's a good book called um, Coco, I think it's called Coco Design Patterns. Um, which is it's interesting. an old book. It is an old book. An oldie but a goodie. Mm. Um, it's a classic. I read it thinking it would be a bit like the Gang of Four patterns book in that it would describe patterns that I could make use of in my code kind of as little recipes of if you encounter this scenario, here's a pattern to use. And I was a little disappointed that the 
Coco Design Patterns book didn't seem to be written that way. It was more about an explanation of the patterns Apple use within the framework. And it was less like a description of or a recipe of how you could use particular patterns. However, having said that, the delegation one is one that I, I guess through reading that book a bit and writing classes to implement the delegate protocols that Apple define, I guess became more familiar with it and now I've started using it a fair bit. Um, and so I guess particularly one way I use it is um, as of iOS 5 and container view controllers. Um, often I'll have a kind of high, a view controller hierarchy where I might want to have the view controllers cooperate a bit with one another. So an example might be um, an app that displays uh, an iPad app that's got a map showing pins on the map that relate to particular things and maybe a timeline representing those same things. So I've split the screen into two bits with two container view controllers containing a map view and a timeline view respectively. Uh, and if you tap on a pin, I'd like the, on the map, I'd like the timeline to scroll to the right spot to show you the corresponding element for the thing that you've tapped like on and vice versa. Like an event of sorts. Yeah, yeah. So imagine you've got a bunch of, um, stories about things and those, those things occurred in time and space. You want to indicate where they occurred in space Ooh. as a pin on the map and when they occurred in time on the timeline and have them correspond to each other. So, um, with that, my approach is to use, uh, delegates, right? So to, um, have my map view controller have a delegate protocol that says, uh, that has some methods such like, um, map view controller did select story, um, and have my timeline view controller have a similar protocol timeline view controller did select story. And then to have the view controller that acts as the container for those two implement both protocols, both delegate protocols. So my sort of contain the outermost container view controller, uh, is the delegate for both the map view controller and the timeline view controller. Uh, and so when you tap on a, uh, a pin on the map, uh, the method that checks to see that the map view controller has a delegate that implements the right protocol. And if it does, it calls the delegate method map view controller did select story. And the delegate's implementation of that is to, uh, then call a method on the timeline view controller to select a, a specified story. Does that make sense? Yeah, sounds good. So is that, yeah, what do you guys think of that approach of using delegation and protocols? Is that how they're meant to be used? Yeah, I would say it is because you never want to go across your tree. So you've got a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. You always want to go... Classes sort of on the same level shouldn't really know about each other. So you don't really want to be jumping across the tree. You always want to go up and back down because what will happen is later on, say you add a third view or even a, you need to add 10 more views. Not mm -hmm. that you will, but say you did. Yeah. Um, if you hadn't have made the step to go up and back down, you would then have to open up all of those classes and add all of those 10 views, a thing to refresh each other. And obviously that's terrible mm. and that's way too many couples. Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess with the, situation that I've got, as you say, the map view and the timeline view know nothing about one another. Yeah. So potentially I could use either of them, pull them out and use them on their own. Yeah, in another app. In another app. 
Yeah, I think that was kind of what well, I don't know. I was explicitly thinking that, but I think that's why it made sense to me. Mm. Um, are there other ways of achieving the same thing? I think so. Um, if I mean, your hierarchy is, is pretty simplified, right? It's it's just basically one view controller with a couple of child view controllers. Yeah. Uh, if it was a bit more complex than that, you had multiple different things going on. Um, you'd probably use notifications instead um, because you can't necessarily pass everything straight back up to the top. Um, so, you would, you know, basically, you know, post a notification that, okay, this happened, this event happened, um, you know, I've updated this data and then other view controllers can, can tie into that. I think that, make, that makes sense because I've certainly had examples where my hierarchy has been deeper and I've had to write like three delegate protocols in a row. Yeah, to, I hate to that sort happens. of bubble yeah. the same information back All up high back enough up. the hierarchy to pass it on to the next thing. And that just felt a bit weird. Like Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, in the same way, I sometimes feel notifications feel a bit weird because they're almost just like this glorified go to. Because you don't have it you, you wouldn't have a clue where that's going when you call it. Whereas mm. with your delegate you know exactly where that's going. Yeah, you do. I mean, the 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 the, the again, the problem is is the fact that you have to bubble it all the way back up the chain. So you have to, if you want, if you have uh, something that's in a completely separate um, hierarchy, like a different window, even um, you literally have to go all the way back up to the app delegate and bubble it all the way up there uh, and then back down. Um, so so it's you know it, it becomes problematic to use delegates in that sort of a situation is because then where- everything has a delegate not every not every class should end up with a delegate yeah, yeah is that where something like coco bindings on the desktop makes sense where you can bind your view controllers to properties of the model that they're representing and if one view controller makes a change to a property of the model that another one completely separately in the application's hierarchy would then get notified that there's a new value. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention. So I was going to say if you're that deep into your hierarchy, it's probably better that your views are completely separated from what they're even... Sort of they just know how to draw what's given to them and then somehow you change a data store or something and it fires a KVO notification, which would update everything else rather than an explicit push notification through Notification Center. Right, so rather than creating your own custom notifications in Notification Center, you're saying take advantage of key value observing... And just change a property in a model object. Yeah. And allow any of the things that have registered to observe those property changes to. So maybe in your case, you'd have a property of currently viewed. Story. Story. So when that story changed, anything that was viewing that story would get a notification from. Yeah. Maybe. And that's, it's interesting because I think my personal preference, and I don't know that there's any good reason to have it, is that I like explicit code. I like it where you can step through, just read through the lines of code, not in a debugger, but just with your eyes and see, okay, this is calling this method, then this method's executing and calling this method. I agree. Whereas, That's why I like delegates. Yeah. Um, and although what you've just described with key value observing, I think is probably, you know, as good, as nice a way of implementing it, I guess it didn't occur to me immediately because of that level of, Indirection that just yeah I've never actually done that <laughs> it was just that's a disclaimer yeah it just sounded like that would be another way you do it to avoid say you had you were ten levels deep and you didn't want to have ten delegates to go all the way up and all the way back down yeah, yeah. doing doing this uh, 
managing this problem, it really comes down to, um, you know, have, being being having planned for, uh, for you know, the way that you want to do it, like the way that you want the system to work. Mm. Um, the more that you actually consider this, I think the better your solution is going to be. Yeah. Um, and, and in this example- I think that makes- Yeah. I, I Before I wrote any code in this app, I um, spent a fair bit of time thinking through and drawing little sketches of how I would divide the view up into the different elements and which would become child view controllers and right. what sort of um, information might need to go between them. Um, and that was actually a really nice process because then when I came to sit down to write code, like, I don't know, this very rarely happens for me, like really, really rarely. So I got a kick out of it when it did. Like I implemented something in the first way, like my first go at writing the code and it kind of worked. It's like, yes. I love that. You know, it's always a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah, I, it maybe happens once a year. I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> but I think the, pre, the pre-thought in this case paid off. Um, so just a little bit of detail part of that. How do you guys do um, the, the, product, the defining the protocol and the delegate property and when you actually go to call a delegate method? So I um, will write the delegate protocol in my class's header, obviously. Uh, do you use the optional and required? Are they keywords? Is that the right directives? Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. I do. I do use those. Yeah. I don't um, really bother. I always just go with all required. But all I can required, see why yeah. you would need optional ones. Um, I, I use them like for, as, as an example. Uh, I use I, I use both of them. Like I, I will set them all as required for the most part. Um, there are situations where I, I, I only want to use them in like one instance where I'm going to be like using a delegate, uh, but not in another, another instance in, in the app. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, yeah, sometimes I'll set them as, as, uh, as, as optional. I think I use that in progressions, uh, so that you can open, you open up a, like a, an editor for a chart and there's a few instances where that will open up. Um, it'll open up for things like, um, when you actually want to edit a chart that's already in the app or it'll open up when you import one, it'll open up with all the details in it. Uh, so the delegate will tell, tell like, has methods on it for things like, um, you know, when it was saved and uh, did load, you know, uh, did load content and stuff like that. So, you know, I know when certain things are happening so I can make other stuff in the app happen. Yeah. Um, and some of those are optional because I don't always want to know when it loaded the content. Um, if I'm creating a new, you know, a new thing that's going to fire immediately because there is no content. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I do it. That definitely makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I usually do it. And uh, in terms of the way you keep track of what the class's delegate is, uh, so I tend to use a property and I make it non-atomic assign for a delegate because I, I believe, and I don't know if this is a hard and fast rule or a guide, I don't, can't really remember where I formed this belief, but I believe that kind of in terms of memory management that classes shouldn't own their delegates. They should just have kind of a weak reference. Or, definitely right. It has to be weak or else yep. you will create a retain cycle. Okay. And assign is a, is a pre-arc way of doing that. Yeah. Assign is the pre-arc way. It, does it still work in arc? Right? Assign and weak yeah, more or less the same I think thing? it even does when it comes to like pure objects. It might even be exactly the same. I'm not sure if it auto-nils. So, a weak pointer will auto-nil under arc. Right. Yep. Assign probably doesn't. Okay. 
Um, but yeah, delegates oh, have to be a sign or weak. You, if you were strong, retain. There was some exception somewhere. One of the Coco classes requires a strong delegate by memory. I can't remember which one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, or else you will create a retain cycle. Cool. And then uh, when it comes time to call my delegate method, I uh, tend to do the standard, like I've got the same if block for all of them, which is if my delegate's not nil and my delegate conforms to the protocol, I then will go ahead and call the method on it. Okay. So why is that because some of your methods are optional? Um, so this is as opposed to just calling the method or this is opposed to checking if the delegate responds to the selector that yeah, I'm about so to call. Yeah, so if you've got a required method, yeah. um, you don't have to check for response yeah, to should. selector because it's required. So the compiler would have picked that up. Yeah. Um, and so also if, if, if you I've pass- de- Especially if I've... De- so you're assuming I declare my delegate property as being uh, oh, an definitely. object that implements the delegate protocol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. always declare yeah. mine as of course. ID, ID and, and then the, the protocol. triangle bracket protocol. Yep. Um, but yeah, and then if you send a message to a nil object that does nothing. Yeah, okay. So I don't even need to check nilness. That's right. I don't... At least I don't. Maybe that's not best practice, but yeah, if it's mm. especially because I pretty much always use required. Yeah. Um, I always just go self dot delegate, blah. Do the thing. Mm. There you go. It's probably a very good point. I got another one to ask you guys. Do you guys prefix your protocol names? No, although I know that I should. So, like you know, the table view delegate will say, table view. Oh right, yes, I do that. Table view did. Right. Select rolling index path, whatever the method is. Yes. So um mine will be like map view controller did select story and it will have two parameters. I'll pass the map view controller and I'll pass the story. Okay, good. So that leads me to my next question, which is what do you put as the class for map view controller at the start of your protocol declaration? Because generally you can do it two way two ways around. You can declare your protocol above the header of your sort of class because your class is going to have a pro- a property sorry in it that has the delegate so it needs to know about the protocol yes so I, above. Do that. Yep. Um, I do that yep but then the protocol doesn't know the class of yeah so I use the, a forward declaration that's what I was going to say so you're using you at, at class, class to, so at the very top of my header I've got at class map view controller and then I've got the at protocol um, map view controller delegate and I've got the delegate methods in there. Map view controller of type map view controller did select story of type story. And then later on, I've got the interface for the map view controller where I've got a property, which is ID angle brackets map view controller delegate. Yeah. Yeah. That's Good. how I do it as That's well. That's how I do it too. There yep. you go. So there's another way, which is. Well, you, you could ID your, um, your protocol controller. methods. Right. Which some people do. Yeah. In fact, I think Apple might even do that sometimes. Okay. Um, so, like table view ID controllers. Table view. Yeah. Yeah. So you could actually call that delegate method passing it something that was you could. not a table view. Okay. Hmm. So it's it's either basically delegates or what's happening now because blocks are so cool, and I guess we get a lot of developers coming from languages like Ruby and where they like to have blocks. Is a lot of people are using block-based methods instead of protocol slash delegates. What do you guys think of that? So you can sort of have a block-based I use, I use block, protocol. I use blocks uh, in certain situations. Um, I have an, like a, an API 
controller, I guess, uh, that talks to like uh, a remote server to get data and then puts it in a database. Um, and then, so I have I have methods that I can call to actually make that happen that are on the API controller. Um, that will I usually always put a, a like a completion block on there for when that's going to be finished, so that I know that I can now update my my, my yeah. stuff. Um, that being said, that is a singleton class, so it, you know it, there's only one instance of it ever, um, so it can't really have a delegate. Uh, in that situation, because if I once I kind of give it a delegate, then I'm basically just passing the delegate around, um, and so it means that I can just basically go, okay, do this, uh, you know, fetch this data, and then once you finish fetching it, you can you can do this. Blocks are really handy for keeping all the same like all the code together. Um, yeah, because you can use very in that, situ- the same in that situation. Um, but I think it's a matter of being smart about how you use them. Really, it's just everything is, and you know, it comes down to how smart you are. Um, yeah, I think um, I've certainly used blocks in exact, almost exactly the same way. So, for example, um, when I was at the ABC working on iView, um, there are a bunch of other apps that the ABC's um, created that allow you to access iView content through the app. So, the Good Game app lets you watch show episodes of Good Game, and the Play School app lets you watch episodes of Play School, and uh, vice versa. So, um, I created a uh, a little framework to allow other apps to access the iView um, backend. So basically, it was a little thing called iView Kit, and um, it was a blocks-based API where there was a method. It was a singleton iView Kit. You'd get the shared instance, and then you'd say uh, get episode for a given series, and process with block, and uh, the block would get be given an array of episode objects that you could then do what you like with um and so i think i like that idea of de- like i found um del- delegates a clumsy way of doing asynchronous network calls um like is ns url connection as yeah. a delegate and it's kind of like you know you've got to set everything up fire off the request and then implement a delegate method to track the progress of the download and then when the download finishes and so when blocks based network asynchronous networking came in with like AF networking I think was the first one I used that did it really nicely um, I immediately enjoyed consuming that API so started using those sorts of patterns when I was doing asynchronous networking and exposing that for other other people to use but I haven't considered using blocks as an alternative for delegation in the sort of thing we we're talking about before like is it even possible how would you use blocks to Say, if you've got that view controller hierarchy where you want one child view controller to take some action based on uh, an action the user's done in another child view controller, is that something you could use blocks for? Well, you could. Well, that's what I was going to ask because I still think delegates are better in that situation. Yeah. So, completion handlers, definitely. Blocks are awesome in that sense. Yeah. Um, but you see some APIs these days coming out where... I think it's an obvious case to use a delegate. Like, let's just imagine the table view delegate or data source. They could both be based on blocks. If you really wanted to, you would have a block property in all your table view classes for every single method we'd normally put in a delegate. So I can pass in a block for self row and index path, and I can pass in a block for a number of rows in section or whatever that method is. Mm. Um, 
Yeah. Okay. And it just leads could do to that. massive init methods. And I, I heard someone describe it the other day as blockception because you end up with blocks, blocks in, in blocks, blocks in blocks, which in blocks. then call another block. Yeah. And then you always have to worry about, oh, am I on the main thread? So you've got all these calls for, am I on main thread? If so, dispatch. I mean, yeah. you don't have to dispatch that. If I'm not on the main thread, dispatch Switch it back to the main, to the main thread. thread. Yeah. It is so messy and hard to read when that happens. So blocks are cool, I'm, but I'm too many blocks. Of block inception. I just did it res- a recursive block method. Whoa. The other day. And it worries me because I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to get a stack a overflow. Block. So the, uh, there's a, a method whose body is basically a block and, um, Within the execution block, it calls itself. And if you get a Stack Overflow, you're screwed. Right. So, I don't, <laughs> I don't think it'll ever call itself sufficiently that I get a Stack Overflow because it only calls itself under certain circumstances. And if those circumstances don't exist, then it breaks. It goes, bails, it stops. Yep. So, um, it might call itself a dozen times. And I'm sure the... Um, the stack can handle that, although I have. I think you're okay in that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's only when it starts calling it like hundreds of times that you really have to be. I think it's even super thousands. concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. If, although, if, trying to, trying if to you... find if um, like I was wondering to myself, what is the likelihood of reaching hitting a Stack Overflow with a recursive block? And so I googled for recursive block Stack Overflow, and all I got was. St- Things on Stack Overflow. <laughs> <laughs> this this word has a meaning separate that from that website. <laughs> yeah, and Xcode goes nuts when you get a Stack Overflow because it just spins out, trying to keep up with all of the. Mm. You know when you've done it. Yeah. Yep. Um, speaking of block, one other question about blocks is uh, a question posted on Twitter by the guy who does the iOS five implementation of UI collection view and PDF kit. Oh, God. I, can't I know who you're talking anything. about. I don't know his name. Peter. Peter someone or other. Uh, name's probably less important than the question he posted because it's pertinent to our discussion. Um, would you rather a sync... If you're someone... If you were consuming an API and you could choose between a synchronous call that takes a long time and a block-based API, what would you prefer? That was his question. I think it depends on the use case. So he's saying a synchronous one so that you could then put it yourself in a... Right, exactly. So it's a long-running operation. And would you rather the interface to it be blocks-based, so you've got a completion handler, or would you rather the interface be uh, a synchronous method that runs for a long time and then for you to have to take responsibility for... I think I'd rather a synchronous one. I had this problem the other day with doing a um, a table view of turn-based matches in Game Center, and the Game Center API is a lot of asynchronous calls that you sort of want to do one after another, and so you do end up in this block exception thing. So what you do is you have a call that says authenticate with Game Center. Once you're authenticated, that'll fire a block, and from there you want to load matches, and from the match data you then want to load the player information. Um, and from there, you can load avatars by memory and then the data that's actually in those matches. So each turn-based match has ridiculous. a- That ridiculous. So you, you could And be every like- single one of those is asynchronous. And it is a nightmare trying to track all that. And I think I would have preferred them all to be, at least have a synchronous option and then have to de- deal with the asynchronicity- Yourself. Myself. Yeah. Which is much easier to think about. At least I, I find that anyway. Yeah. It's interesting because I think um that was- Let's go with Peter, his instinct. 
Uh, but apparently, the most feedback he got was people prefer blocks based. I think that would be the majority, yeah. And I think, I think that it probably you'd run into issues implementing that because there are certain situations where you're going to be calling the the block multiple times, um, and so it wouldn't necessarily work. Mm. I think, I mean, ideally, as you've said, having both. If you're writing an API and you can expose a convenient block-based version for when, like the thing when I like a block-based API is when it really is closely coupled to the, like, for example, download this data, parse it, and when you're done, display it here. Like, uh, you know, that's kind of nice. You've got a single completion handler and the completion handler is very close to the thing that caused you to want to go and get the data in the first place. Um, but where you've got further levels of nesting than that and greater complexity, I I think you're right, having a asynchronous version that you could like, yeah, you know, do your own sort of operation queue or whatever, and and put the steps in the sequence together and handle it. So an example of another place that I'm using a block that's not a network call uh, is in Multiplex, which I can say the name of it now because we've announced our beta. So oh, that's excellent. the comic app. The comic app is multiplex. Is multiplex. Uh, so in multiplex, uh, I'm using. There's there's a few places where he he likes to use italics in his in his some of his titles, and so I've got to use um, what are they called? Attri- attri- attributed strings. Yep. Uh, to you know to 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 make that, and uh, but they come through as HTML because it's made for the website, right? Uh, so I'm using. I'm using method to basically parse that HTML into uh, in, into a attributed string, uh, and to make that kind of simple on myself, I, I use blocks in a f- in a few places. Um, so one of the like one of my methods uh, in inside the class is basically to do the parsing and pull out all the tags. Uh, but the class that I actually can call will tell it to do like will give me a block that says, okay, you've you've uh, when you hit this tag, um, you've got you know, so you've got this tag. What do you want to do? And so the block will get called, uh, and so I can go, okay, if if I get an italics tag, then you know, do this. If I get a bold tag, then do this. And so it's I can like actually block based event based parsing. Kind of, yeah. Sounds cool. Yeah, it does sound cool. Um. It was it was the simplest way to kind of to go about it, and I mean for the most part, it's it's all the same. It's all going to be mostly the same, and so I've you know I've kind of wrapped that into another one that uh, as well that makes it so that I can just call this thing that doesn't require me yeah. any other to do anything else. Um, but it allows me to, if I need to, I can you know I can parse those italics tags as you know completely different font if I want to, mm-hmm. uh, which actually is how it works yeah. in the first place. So which is weird. Um, I th- do, what what do you th- is that is that do you think that's reasonable way of yeah, using? Yeah, that I, sounds I great. I like that. Did you type def your block type so you don't have? Yeah, to I always three brackets. I always do type yeah. type def blocks. I, I never I never use. even remember the other one. I just go with the Xcode snippet for type def block and it, yeah fill it in. Yeah, yeah. I, I always type def my blocks too. Um, it just makes it nicer. Oh, you kind of wonder what we did before blocks, right? Like mm. so many. There was a time nice. before blocks. I know. It feels <laughs> strange. There was a time before blocks. And that's one of the things that I'm enjoying about um, Objective-C these days is that the the community of users of the Objective-C language has grown 
to include people who have experience in such a variety of different languages. And often those languages come with common techniques for programming. Like um, something I still have on my list to learn more about is functional reactive programming in things like Reactive Cocoa. And I think that's come from .NET um, and C Sharp. Mm. And it's, it's kind of nice to have uh, people who are starting to contribute to, you know, the use of a language um, and have brought ideas from elsewhere. Um, but the more and more of these ideas, uh, the harder I find it to pick which technique to use in which circumstances. So kind of the old school delegation and protocols. There's new fang-dangled blocks. And then there's even newer fang-dangled, you know, functional reactive programming and things like that. Um, speaking of which, I've heard that that's a really good way of chaining together a whole heap of yes. network calls. I've for played example. with Reactive Coco just in like tutorials. I haven't actually used it in a real project, and it was really cool. Mm. It was quite exciting. Mm. I'm looking for an example to. It's also kind of complicated. It's definitely very different to think about. Right, and there's the challenge. It flips I'm everything having. on you on like its head. The when I think about a problem that I need to solve, I I think in terms of the um, techniques that I'm used to. And trying to figure out wh- when it's appropriate to apply something like functional reactive programming, I'm struggling with. So I've done a few of the tutorials as well, but I really want to try and find a concrete example of a real world app where it's a good fit and then try and find a way of, you know, using it to learn, learn more about it. So and I'm the other thing was I almost used it in a real project and I stuck it in my CocoaPod spec and then it didn't build. I oh, hate no. when that happens. And then I was like, all oh, right, I'm doing it the old way then. <laughs> that was the end of that. Yeah. Um, another one that was, uh, lib ext objective c so extended objective c i guess it's its proper name um and so kind of like how c++ i don't know if you guys have done any c++ but c++ is very slow moving language so anytime they make a change you hear about like c++ 11 it brought all these cool new features um so coco changes all the time and it brings new objective c features c++ was much slower moving so they have this library called boost and it's sort of like a whole pile of cool features for the language that aren't official yet, but because it moves so slow, they sort of become very used. Mm. Um, and so they're just created by other developers. And that's kind of what libext Objective C is, which is like a module you can download. Uh, and it brings a whole pile of cool new features to Objective C, like uh, compile time key value coding checks, which is really nice. Mm. Uh, you can replace target selector with a block, which is also cool sometimes especially if you want to put a button on a table view cell. I don't know if you've ever tried to do that because they reuse. It's very annoying. Um, oh, I forgot. There's about 12 features. I, and I know Reactive I, Cocoa does use lib ext Objective-C. Oh, weak, weakify and strongify is the other one I use all the time. So to make my variables weak before putting them in a block instead of having to go underscore underscore weak type of class, blah. That's mm. so long and messy. You can just go mm. at weakify and then the variable name. Cool. So you guys haven't used that one? I have not used it yet. I've heard you talk about it uh, previously. Um, it's interesting. The, I I enjoy learning new language features, and I look forward to potentially some new language features coming next week. Yeah. Maybe we should discuss that a little bit later. Um, but I feel a little bit reluctant to embrace kind of third-party extensions that extend... I love using third-party frameworks and libraries that provide APIs I can use. Um, I don't have a problem with that. But I sometimes have a problem where the use of that third-party thing gets too much like using a new language. Yeah, um, I know what you for mean. For the fear that 
that someone that will come across that code in the future or my future self, um, you then have to not only know the Objective-C language and the Cocoa APIs, you need to know the Objective-C language as modified by the third-party thing. Um, and so it gets harder to read other people's code and, and things like that. Um, I've also seen um, people make such extensive use of um, macros. Is that the right word for mm-hmm. it? Yes. That it's almost like another sort of macro language. Yeah, well, um, a lot of LibyXT is macros. Well, not And with macros, can you, how well does it integrate with Xcode for in the sense that, um, you know, if you're calling a library and you see a method that you don't know what it's doing, you can just uh, command click and go to that method. Yep, that works with it macros. works with macros as well, so you can jump to the macro and see what's There's happening. There's one tiny little thing I don't like about the LibyXT macros in that they name their macros sort of like at weakify, at strongify to make them look more Objective-C-ish, kind of like at synthesizer, or at yeah. property. Right, yeah. Um, but because it's implemented as a macro underneath, and what the macro's doing is it's um, the weakify part of it, not the at weakify. So just the weakify part is switched out with a try catch block that isn't catching anything and that's how they get the at to work on the front right which is a cool clever trick but what it means is the syntax highlighter messes that up so you get a white at and then an orange macro word and that really annoys me because i want it to be pink if it was pink (laughs) it would be great (laughs) but anyway you can't just change it in your color scheme settings for x no it doesn't work like that because it picks up as two different things Uh, anyway the small detail uh later if we do talk about uh, next week's developer conference, uh, cool. we should talk about the language features we would like to see and think that we might see. Well, why don't we why don't we go into that now? We've got we've got maybe maybe ten fifteen minutes yeah. left. Okay, so Let's we can probably we can probably talk about that for a little while. So, conscious of the fact that many listeners probably uh, are frustrated by podcasts where people just um, randomly talk about stuff that they don't really know about and speculate wildly about things. Um, we've left this towards the end, so if you're in that camp and you don't want to hear us just speculate about stuff we've got no idea about, um, feel free to tune out and join us for the next episode. Uh, if, However, sometimes I actually enjoy... I've got this really weird, um, weird thing where I like to listen to certain podcasts where people are talking randomly about things they don't know about, just so I can yell at the at the phone saying, no, you crazy person. Of course, that's not going to happen. That was Don't how I this? felt when you guys were talking about bit masks. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, that was meant to be something. That, <laughs> that was not meant to be speculation there. Uh, anyway, so if, if you do enjoy the opportunity to uh, yell at your podcast device of choice, um, perhaps we could, on the bus. Some, we could do some wild speculation here about next week's developer conference so uh, what are your guys, what are your um predictions what will be announced okay just before we actually get into this let me let me uh make some rules about this no no hardware stuff we're not talking about hardware this isn't yeah. a hardware thing uh let's just talk about stuff that is actually possibly useful for for the listeners um for you guys i'm doing this for you guys okay uh it basically means that you know we can talk about you know stuff that we think is going to come in in you know Objective C and Xcode, uh, but you know let's let's leave like feature sets and stuff like that out of it because it doesn't matter to to to, to these these guys. Just going to throw it out there. I would love a way to tell if the the mute switch was switched on mm. because when you rec- so say your app wants to use the microphone at some point, the audio mode you need to use then ignores the mute switch. So it'd be really nice to know that 
If the mute switch was on, I just won't play my sounds, even though I still want to record the audio. Such a simple request. Please put that in. Is it in radar? Have you filed a radar? No. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. No, no, no. Before we talk about what we'd like to see, because there's a category of things there. Yeah, true. What do you expect that we might see in terms of new APIs or... Oh, see, that's hard. Yeah, I don't actually know what to expect. No, I, this is what's so fun about it, because we're going to be wrong. I mean, last year, you you went in and they announced Arc, and they also announced Literals. And it was like, well, that was disappointing, because Clang announced that, like, months ago. Right. But yet people were still like, yeah, this is the best thing I've had. I've never heard this. So, that was kind of disappointing in that fact. Mm. Are you expecting any new language features? I'd like to think so. Normally, you get something. I mean, we got autosynthesis, I think, last year, didn't we? Or the year before? Wow, you're you're new to the subjective C game, aren't you? Because when you say normally we get something, it's been that's been the case for maybe the last yeah, I started three, with iOS three or four years, five years, right before iOS four came out. Yeah. So that's when I started iOS back in the day before iOS. Objective C remains largely unchanged for like a decade. Yes, I have heard that. Hmm. See, the the thing about the the thing about like trying to predict what is going to happen. It's difficult, especially this year, because most of the noise about iOS 7 and the, the stuff that's going to be coming at WWDC hasn't been about, no, people just about language at all. Look, what it's going to look like. Everybody's been talking about how apparently it's going with a flat interface. Okay. Well, look, I'll put myself out there then. Uh, I agree. It's difficult to predict because no one's been speculating, but uh, I'm just going to wildly speculate with no wildly basis speculate. for fact at all. Uh, namespaces. I reckon we'll get namespaces. Ooh, that would be nice. Actually, I saw I saw a thing the other day from, I think it was Wolf Ranch. Right, yeah. Um, to do like kind of namespacing. Yeah, 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 someone worked out a way to sort of do it, right? I yeah, I, I think it was Wolf, Wolf Ranch. Uh, so, I'll-, I'll uh, I, I did save that for for, for later reference, so mm-hmm. I'll uh, I'll chuck that in the show notes because um that was an interesting way of doing it, and it just kind of it allows you to namespace stuff without having to deal with uh, you know classes that mm-hmm. might actually be named the same thing. I've got one. I think we're going to get cross process communication. I agree. I think like XPC from the yes, desktop because Mac. it's already in there. Also, I've heard so when you show a compose sheet, say you want to compose an email in your app. Yeah. Um, that's actually that compose sheet that pops up is actually running in another process, so mm. it's it's in there. It's just not exposed to us, which and is going to we'll be interesting because about that. the kind of side effect of that would be um, starting to think about your app with greater granularity and modularity. So thinking about having which bits of your app would you want running if another app wanted to invoke a function within your app. Um, how would you separate it out from the whole, like, you know, at the moment it's really ge- geared around your app delegate is the starting point for, for all the interactions with your app and then it fires up everything else that's needed for the view controller hierarchy and whatnot. But imagine a world in which there is inter-process communication and another app wants to use just one part of the functionality that your app provides. Uh, what would be the thing that would take responsibility for doing that and how would you separate that out from the rest of the app? Yeah, that's going to be interesting. be interesting. I think it will end up to being being the app delegate anyway. Right. Um, because if you think about how it's already being done now with not, you know, things like actual view so, controllers, when you're responding to, to your, the URL schemas and stuff all like that, that's all done in the app delegate. Yeah, I feel like the URL schemas is a bit of a clunky way of handling. It's like... 
I'm not saying it's the best way. I'm just saying that that's probably the way it's going to end up being. So, on the desktop, I haven't used XPC, but my understanding is that XPC on the desktop is actually used to manage the communication between your app's GUI and a back-end process. Um, and so, the, the two are actually separated quite distinctly yep. in the sense that um, then it allows the process to run when the app's GUI isn't. So, for example, if you've got a toolbar icon that allows you to do some stuff, it could use XPC to communicate with the same backend process that um, that your app's GUI would. I think, wild speculation, this is the segment where we're talking about stuff we don't really know about, so yeah. it's okay. <laughs> um, so, I, I wonder, yes, whether it'd be similar on, on iOS. Um, in the same vein of things that might come back to iOS, like we had back to the Mac where iOS features were brought to the Mac, uh, scene kit. Maybe we'll see scene kit for iOS. So, just uh, remind me what scene kit is. SceneKit is the technology that powers that awesome new app from Itty Bitty Apps that was released this week. Oh, right. Reveal. Yeah. Let's take a moment to talk about Reveal. Um, Itty Bitty Apps, uh, good friends, um, released a developer tool this week. Uh, I was lucky enough to be on the beta list and I was a terrible, terrible beta tester. Nobody ever offered Jake a beta ever. I, I launched it at least twice. Once, I think that's once more than Russell from Shifty Jelly. So, um, Good work. Um, you're the you're the kind of beta tester that we all hope to you know to to get on our. And I tell you what, when I did launch it, I was blown away. Uh, what it does is um so basically you add a framework to your app. Yep. While you're developing in Xcode, uh, you then build and run your app. It launches on the device or in the simulator, and then you launch the reveal Mac app. Um, and you attach to the process that uh is running either in the simulator or on your. Device? I think it works on the device. I don't know for sure. I've only lived it on the simulator. No, it works on the device. I yeah, did cool. it over Wi-Fi as well. Awesome. I know. Yes. And so, once you've attached to your process, what Reveal does is it reveals to you the uh, view hierarchy of your app. So, uh, it's got a pane down the left where you can kind of expand and collapse different parts of the view hierarchy and it'll show you all the other things. And as you select something on the left, it's got a beautiful visualization in the middle that shows you what your view looks like. You can see that in 3D. Use a scene kit to implement that. That's the that. best part. It sort of explodes out the views. Yeah. So you can see what's laid and what, exactly. what's Exactly. That's fantastic. So, um, so reveal is that is, is uh, for for those users who have users for those listeners who are uh, uh, who have been um, web developers prior to being uh, being app developers. It's a bit like Web Inspector. It's it's, it's almost exactly like Web Inspector. Yeah. Uh, it it provides quite a lot of the same sort of functionality that you can get uh, with that with 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 that. So you can yeah. you know can see what's going on. Uh, yeah, and app. you can change stuff too. So on the right, once you select a view on the right hand panel, that shows is an inspector that shows you all the properties of the thing you selected, yep. and you can change things. So you can change. It's um, kind of cool for if you're doing um, like tweaking the design of or you're writing code to try and recreate uh, a design that someone's given you as as an image. Mm-hmm. Um, you adjusting things like the shadow. Offset yeah, and where, where you have to go. Okay, okay. You know, so I'll, I'll I'll put this shadow on there and I'll just see how it looks. looks. And then you run it, and it's like, and you know, it takes like twenty thirty seconds to yeah. run. And so then you get it on the phone. And you're like, no, that's that's just not One quite. The, this is just kind of. And so you go back and you adjust it, and you go, no, now it's too dark, and just back and forwards. Yeah. So reveal let you do that in real time while your app stays running. You just adjust the value in the inspector, and it uh, communicates back to your running app changes the value of that thing and uh, is updated. So, it's pretty awesome. Um, everyone go and get it. 
Now, where were we? Speculating wildly. It's going to be Wi-Fi building. Oh, no, we got the thing that got us to uh, reveal was SceneKit. Oh, yes. Okay, explain SceneKit to me. Uh, It's an API for doing 3D. It's it's a bit like um, core animation. Yep. But 3D. As I understand, I've not used it. I've just read about it. So it lets you do things like 3D transitions and stuff. Yeah, and it's kind of like a higher level API on top of you know OpenGL. So you can do 3D graphics, visualization, animation, whatnot. A bit more like how okay uh, core animation works, rather than having to get into the. They announced that for Mac last year, didn't they? Right. Yeah, they showed the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, spinning around. So it's been available on the Mac for a while, a year, I think. strikes me that it would be an awesome API on iOS. So I don't know if this is in the camp of what I want or what I think will be there, but um, let's go. I'm it's very possible that it will come at some point, uh, let's be honest. So if yeah. it's not this year, it'll be yeah. you know next year, possibly. Uh, and then mm. Wi-Fi building. Yes, I want that. I still don't have to plug in my phone. Yeah. Although I guess it charges. That's a good thing. Yeah. My, only, my only downside with that is that... Um, I've I've noticed that in this office when I've got everything closed up because the wife the router is at the other end of the uh, house, um, I I find that I, I lose Wi-Fi every now oh, and then right. yeah. on the device, which painful. is which is really annoying because at the moment I'm like as you know I'm doing all this development on multiplex, mm. which everything is 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 you know data based, so I have to you know I'm refreshing the data and then the Wi-Fi will drop out and mm. back on 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 LTE and I'm just like oh. <laughs> You just, you just need an Airport Express. Extend your network. I do. I, I do need to do that. I need to get one of those to extend it in here. But yes, Wi-Fi building would be awesome. Would be awesome, especially in an office. I, I feel mean, like I'm, it would be faster. Uh, I don't know. I think it would be faster in the fact that we work in an office, and it's sort of like someone wants a new build, one that hasn't been pushed yet. Because we do have a build server where they can pull builds from. But sometimes you just want to go. I want to give Wayne a build, and you could just pick him from a list and send it to his office. I. I feel like that would that could be um it could be used for pranks. <laughs> yes. <it laughs> like you, you just you just kind of you know, somebody's in a meeting and you decide that you want to build you, a run you build a run and app that's got like you know, <laughs> like some sort of, you know, picture on it that just that's it makes all it does. A very loud, embarrassing noise. <laughs> yeah. That would be that would be great. Pranking with but, with Wi Fi building. But we're all professionals here, so we, would we wouldn't never do, do that. Anything like that. I, would, I would do that. I would do that in a heartbeat. Ah. <laughs> oh, it would be even. It would be awesome because you could, if you went to like a conference, like one more thing or WWDC, and you're sitting with your team, and you've got your laptop out, you can pretend to write notes. Actually, write up a little app that you know makes farting noises. Mm. Deploy it to the whole. Deploy it room. to the whole. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably, it'd have to be a device you provisioned. But but, oh, but you know, at least your team, like right, your team would be sitting you know around. They'd all yeah. they'd all get this app suddenly start up where it's just yeah. making noises. noises. Yeah, it'd I haven't awesome. thought of that yeah. side of it. I so I wonder. Mind. Look, I actually think Xcode has been coming along really nicely. Like people bad mouth Xcode four, but I think that it's gotten to the point where it is a huge step above what was there in um in Xcode three. Oh, so much so, better. Yeah, and particularly storyboards. Like they've got like you couldn't do container view controllers with storyboards in early on, and um other sort of custom segues and yeah things. So I kind of think that that might keep. Going forward, I'd love to see storyboards be able to show you a little bit of a preview of what your view looks like when your app's running. Like, can you imagine uh, mm. Reveal and Xcode coming together? Amazing. Maybe Apple should acquire itty bitty apps. That would be sad in so many ways. But if Apple it meant that Apple could get Reveal and 
integrate Implement it nicely with it. Xcode. Xcode. Like, uh, or maybe it doesn't need Apple to do that. Maybe uh, itty bitty apps can keep making reveals beautifully integrated on their own Hmm. Uh, but i'd love to see things like um the storyboard editor have some of the functionality of being able to show you what your view hierarchy looks like at runtime or looked like at last time the app ran or i think that would be far more useful than than anything else uh to do with storyboards um like as we've discussed before, like I've I've tried storyboards and mm. I am still very unconvinced. Um, there is still a storyboard that exists in in Multiplex. Um, it's very very basic. I think the the challenge in doing but something I, like that is that what storyboards represent is um, all of the states that your app's UI might ever have, whereas what you can see when you run the app on your device or in the simulator is one state at one point in time. So it'd be kind of like how do you maybe you could have something like um once you'd finished running your app in the simulator, uh each view in your storyboard shows a kind of ghostly image of the last thing that appeared when that view was on screen, and there's a little scrubber that lets you choose a like kind of a um like choosing a poster thumbnail in a to represent a video clip you've got. Can you imagine doing that, choose a poster thumbnail to represent the view just when you're looking at it in Anyway, seems like a kind of cra- I that's one in my list of I would like to or at have. Least, I don't think it's going to. At least being able to do things like implement your own sort of uh con- like controllers and stuff in into into yeah. that so that you could build, you know, using the stuff that you've the additional stuff as opposed to just having the stuff that's yeah. implemented. Back back in the day, uh when web objects was still a supported thing, there was uh Project Builder and Interface Builder being separate apps, and you actually used Project Builder and Web Objects Builder to do um, Web Objects development. There was this thing where you could create your own kind of reusable component and add it to the, like, you know how Interface Builder or the storyboard section has like a library of things that you can drag on to your mm-hmm. view? Mm-hmm. And if you've got a custom view, you just drag on the UI view thing that's a lot white square, and then you set its class to yeah. be a sub, your custom UIV subclass. Back in the day with Project Builder, there used to be a way, or sorry, Web Objects Builder, there used to be a way of adding your little component of HTML and and Java code, or Objective-C as well, um, to that kind of palette of reusable components, and you could provide an image to represent it when it was in, being previewed in... Yeah, Visual Studio does that. Yeah. So you so just that's give all, it... That's all that's required, yeah. is the ability to do something like that. And that's an Xcode thing, that's not necessarily a... Uh, yeah, exactly. a, a, a language thing, a and nice uh, you know, be, being able to do things like you know how you can if you've got a um, a navigation bar, you can edit the title directly, mm. or you can change the icon for for tabs and stuff like that directly. Um, being able to do that as well, like right, set that up like and properties. expect that sort of stuff, um, would be very, 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 very useful. Yeah, being able to see that sort of thing. So you kind of be able to package up your own custom. Right. View subclass. Being able to do that would be that something that I would really appreciate because yeah. I don't think uh, storyboards are ever going to be useful to me until I can do that because once you get past doing things that are, uh, you know, using the, the standard elements, yeah. storyboards become pretty much useless. 
Um, as we've discussed in the past. So, so the last thing that I, I'm kind of it would be interested to see, and I know we kind of talked about it because we talked about using like the the, the sheets that can pop up um, within apps. So along those same lines, I'd like to see more stuff that uh, is for for interapp communication. Mm. Um, being able to do things like um, dealing with. Deal, making it easier to deal with things like URLs opening in sep- in different in different apps, like you can you can open uh, you know a regular URL in you know Safari, which is where it goes by default, or you can open it in Chrome. Um, I don't think necessarily having to set. I, I don't think we're necessarily going to see the ability to set a, a default you know web browser or a default mail client, but being able to you know easily. Tell uh, tell uh, other apps what your app can do, right? Yeah, and then uh, you know so that you can so that you can quite easily Which pass that back. You currently have for file types, right? So you can register yeah. as the, an app that handles a file of a particular type, and if right. there's a file attached to an email of that type, it'll include your apps as one of the options for opening that file. Uh, you're thinking of the same thing, but not just files, just little. Bits of data and bits functionality. Of, bits of data, bits of information, especially yeah. URLs. Yeah. Um, so, because I mean, at the moment you have to you have to do a you know custom URL scheme, uh, and that allows you to basically tell you know your app to do various different things. I'm sure you mm. already know this all, all this. Uh, being able to just handle generic ones would mm. be amazing. Mm. Being able to handle like a mail to you know, link uh, directly or being able to handle like a web web address, um, s- things that are, are similar. So, I, having here's uh, my prediction for that is I think we will get some sort of inter-process communication that lets you register the uh, expose bits of functional- functionality your app provides to other apps to consume, but I don't think it will extend to being able to have another app respond to HTTP or mail to or yeah. Any of the standard, I think Apple will stick to their safaris for the internet, mails for email, and they won't sort of give any concessions. But custom things like, is there any app out there that knows what to do with an image, maybe? Or if there's any app that knows what to do with this data type? Yep. Um, and maybe custom services, like that let you expose, uh, say your app provides a text translation service. You know, you could register a URL scheme or something that says... If you want, if your app could usefully use a text translation service, here's what you call, and then another app could call it and get a little sheet that exposes your app's text translation service within another app. Um, I reckon, so a couple more predictions from me. Um, indoor mapping. I think MapKit will be expanded to do indoor mapping. Apple recently acquired some companies that do uh, build up databases of Wi-Fi hotspots within buildings for the purposes of locating you within when you're indoors. Mm-hmm. So I think that that might, um, you know, having something like what they've got for, you know, using the GPS sensor to give you a location when you're outdoors, I think they'll just seamlessly extend that to start being able to give you locations when you're indoors as well and be able to uh, display maps. Yeah, maybe that's a I'd like to have as well as a, um, uh, well as a prediction. Um, on the topic of like to have, I've been hoping for it every year for, I think the past, well, at least the past two years, I was so sure it was going to happen last year, uh, an SDK for Apple TV. Oh yeah. That, that would, would be, be nice. Good. I don't think it's going to happen. No. 
but I could probably use that for, for various things. Yeah, it would be nice. I think what is like more likely to happen is at some point if Apple ever do unveil a new TV set device, that the SDK would come, you know, a year or so after that, like like the SDK for the iPhone did, and I don't think we're going to see that next week. Indeed. That's all. But an up. SDK would be nice. It would open up it would open it up as a games platform. Well, I know Apple doesn't care about it, but that like care about the like using it as a games platform, so but that sort of thing would be very very useful. People are really starting to um route around the lack of SDK on Apple TV. Did you see uh is it called Plexus? Yeah, I saw that. It's like um it's this app that's been available on uh hacked Apple TVs for a while, which is kind of like a third-party media center thing that allows you to stream right. media from your Macs in different um, in a different matter. Yeah. Um and they've now released a supported a thing that will work with out of the box Apple provided Apple TVs, which is using uh AirPlay really. It's using um, well, it's using the Trailers app, right? So what it does is the Trailers app provides the interface. Um, you you make you, you change a couple of settings, I think, and then there's an app that's running on like a your media computer or whatever, yeah. wherever you're doing the streaming from, uh, that runs that basically provides the API that the Trailers oh, app then nice. then basically connects with, and so it changes yeah. it to become this so, Plex like, app. Given that people are coming up with these kind of hacky, weird, innovative ways to be able to get stuff on those screens. And AirPlay is another one where you can, you know, you can do some gaming on the Apple TV over AirPlay. You can do custom. Yeah, but, I mean, AirPlay has AirPlay has its has its drawbacks because yeah, it it's, you know, requires, uh, you know. Other devices. Other devices. It requires, um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lag effect uh, yeah. regardless of, you know, how, how much they try to remove that. It's never going to be completely removed. Yeah. So, being have an SDK for Apple TV would be awesome, but I don't, I don't think we're going to see it this year. Um, it would be nice. I think that's all my predictions for now. I think I'm done too. Can't think of anything else. Well, we'll have to reconvene soon to find out how wrong we were. Hmm. Well, indeed. So for the next two weeks, we're gonna we're all all three of us are gonna be watching WWDC videos. Except yeah. for maybe Ben, I who's, actually, who's actually- watch them in real life. Who's just going to watch them in real life. <laughs> and then sleep, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, good. So, guys, if you're interested in any of the things that we talked about that are actually uh, useful to you, as opposed to the you know, wild speculation, uh, or even if you're interested in the wild speculation- And just want to laugh at how wrong we were. Uh, there, there are like we we will uh, endeavour to put together all of the you know the links and the notes that we've uh, acquired, acquired, acquired uh, in in the course of making this episode. We'll put them on the website. The website uh, address is mobilecouch.co forward slash ten double digits. Yeah. Mm. Um. Now, if you would like to get in touch with us and tell us how wrong we are about, uh, you know, our speculation, or if you'd like to uh, provide us with any feedback on things like blocks and delegates and all that sort of stuff, uh, we want to hear how you do things. Uh, so, if you can, if you share that sort of stuff with us, we we will share it with everybody. Uh, so, you know, and even if it's something that you, uh, you know, a, a process that you use uh, for for various different tech techniques or or, or whatever, uh, share those with us. You can you can do that, uh, and we 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 love hearing hearing about new stuff. Uh, so you can do that by jumping on the website mobilecouch.co forward slash contact. There is a form. You can 
either you can either give us your name or you can choose to give whatever the uh, the placeholder is. In which case, I won't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, so you know, so do that. Jump on the website, send us an email. It would be awesome. You can also talk to us on Twitter and or app.net. Jake is J McMullen, J-M-A-C-M-U-L-L-I-N. Ben is at Ben Trengrove, B-E-N-T-R-E-N-G-R-O-V-E. And I am at Jelly Bean Soup on Twitter and just Jelly on app.net. Cool. Enjoy WWDC week and speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.